Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. Uh, where is Timothy Harvey? Hold on. I'm Timothy Harvey. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Uh, you know, there we gotta have one. We gotta have one, one little, one little button not pushed right. That's our right? one, then we're fine. That's our one. Okay, so this is a special Tuesday edition of the H2O podcast because I took my time. And now I had uh, I had some work related things and some car issues over the weekend. And I just got around to seeing Dune yesterday, last uh, yesterday evening. And with it being a two and a half hour film, uh, we didn't quite make our time. So we're doing it tonight because we've both seen it. Sure. And how how much how spoilery should we get? I mean, the book has been out forever. It's not like people are not familiar with the with the story, but I'm less concerned about spoilers on this for two reasons. One, it is out. People are watching it. The box office numbers are actually pretty good yeah. uh, for all the concerns of the of the dual format being in theaters and streaming. Uh, it's actual dollar amounts. We don't have streaming numbers. You know, they don't they don't like to release that sort of thing out into the wild. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know that we will get those right for a while. So, we, I mean, but, we might. I mean, we're sitting here right now worldwide, two hundred twenty three million in the box office. Well, and we also had confirmation that the sequel is coming, which yes. was way up in the air. Within this, that was just today, right? Yeah, and actually, we um, we managed to. I would I wouldn't say it was breaking news, but we announced it right at the end of uh, live from the bunker today. And it was, it had just, that news had just broken. We'd just gotten the emails right. uh, and, and the story had broken. So I do think that it's interesting, though, the uh, Screen Rants got a, a, an article about why Warner Brothers wouldn't have been able to announce Dune. Now, this is before they announced Dune 2. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing here goes into... Uh, Warner Brothers has yet to announce Dune Part 2 because the decision isn't actually theirs to make. Uh, right. Legendary's uh, decisions. Yeah, so it's it's interesting the dynamics of who's responsible for what in all of this. But also, I think I think Denis Villeneuve was was rather clever <coughs> in that that opening title sequence. Dune part one. I mean, he made it very clear this is part one and goes completely no against what Disney did with John Carter of Mars, for example. Because, you know, well, anything with Mars in the title is not performing well, so we've got to take it out. And John Carter doesn't do anything. John Carter is the doctor on ER. And right. Warner Brothers apparently just leaned into, okay, we'll do, you know, Dune Part One. Well, I think that there was probably it, always a desire 
in the sen- in on the part of Legendary and Warner Brothers to get a franchise out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, because this is we're not just looking at part two. Villeneuve wants to do Dune Messiah, which in a way would make a lot of sense. Not only do we get a trilogy, which people right. like trilogies, right? But also, it's another. It's it's the. It's a shorter novel. It's a. It's not. It's not the length of Dune by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and yes, the cats are having fun. They've been <laughs> either super sleepy because of the cooler weather, or they're running around like crazy things. So, uh, so cat behavior, you know. But because um, I can see it in the camera behind me. Too. Yeah, yeah, they're going uh, crazy. But but Dune Messiah is the result of what happens in dune i mean it's it's like one of the things that herbert was talking about in his in in the dune series but in dune and dune messiah specifically is the consequences yeah and there's a whole lot of i mean we see a lot of the consequences of my actions or the actions of others playing out in dune but it's writ large in messiah it's like okay what happens if you've conquered the universe um Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not necessarily a good thing. What ha- what happens if you become and then spoiler alert for Dune Messiah, I guess. Um, what happens if you? What happens when the downtrodden become the oppressors? Because the freemen go from being hunted and murdered and and just brutalized by the Harkonnens and by the uh, the the emperors the way the emperor is running the galaxy yeah to becoming this this military force that sweeps across the known universe and leaves blood and destruction in its in its wake and the impact that has on paul is paul part of paul's character development and it's also part of what herbert was talking about in some of the various themes is beware the messianic leader because just be hence the name dune messiah um and just because they're this charismatic you know commanding leader doesn't mean necessarily they're the right person to follow yeah uh there's dangers there are consequences dangers all these things so well and the idea the other part of that too is if you have somebody who's this very charismatic leader sometimes can get caught up in the in the in the the momentum of the movement and sure things get much bigger than what one person is able to control in in well, this where are we going from here and we look into some of the other things that build in because you've got paul's paul's visions which we get in this film mm-hmm. and we get his visions of of war and him leading an army um and and the bigger picture so in a perfect world where we get all you know at least all of herbert's books adapted into film yeah you know with this kind of budget this kind of presentation um you know the the bigger picture of what he's talking about with you know what the golden path is and what uh paul's son leto has to do you know what he's the the course he takes and why paul couldn't take that course yeah. And and so these different things there's there's again it's an incredibly dense saga with a lot going on um and uh, since yeah we might as well just do spoilers uh folks if um if you've seen the film and you know the fate of Duncan Idaho 
don't worry. Um, I, I, if you've not read the books, um, Jason Momoa will be back. <laughs> and if they do Dune Messiah, he will be back because he, of course, is a critical uh, part of the novel. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Idaho's uh, um, uh, role. And of course, if we get God Emperor, then. Yeah. Well, and we've got uh, we've got Mazurus and Robert and Cyphus not in the chat. Robert, uh, Robert is saying um, there's a mountain of Dune material now with uh, what his son with Brian and uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson have written. Uh, but he says uh, that's why I like God Emperor of Doom with the Fremen and the post desert world, very Ottoman Empire nomads overthrowing Byzantium. And uh, there's it's Trap Productions. Hello, everybody. Good to see you in there as well. Um, I think uh, no, I no saw... sci-fi snob. Uh, Duncan doesn't die. Duncan lives forever. <laughs> well, I think uh, one one thing that I saw Robert Meyer Burnett put out uh, after you know now that we've got part two coming, uh, he's he's very set on the idea that in terms of a trilogy. You have Dune, you have Dune Prophet, and then you have Dune Messiah. And he's saying, you know, Robert's suggesting that Dune Messiah becomes part three, essentially, of, you know, because now you're splitting Dune into two parts where they've gone off into the desert. You're at a natural breaking point there for part, between part one and part two. You do two Almost. and a half hours well, that, or three hours there. For the second that's half, one of of my that. quib- that's one of my quibbles, by the way, uh, with the film, and I do have a few, and no. I, I we'll, we'll get into that. Um, is I think they ended it a scene too soon. Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, massive spoilers for the movie. The film ends with Paul essentially killing someone for the first time. Right. Uh, they're captured by the Fremen after the, the uh, Harkonnens and, and the, the Imperial Sardaukar uh, attack the Iraq, uh, the Atreides uh, compound on Arrakis. It's a massacre and they escape into the desert. Well, they're captured by the Fremen. Uh, Jessica is able to uh, <laughs> demonstrate a little bit of the Bene Gesserit skill set uh, and, and get basically save them from her being killed and, and Paul being uh, absorbed into the tribe and essentially just, you know, we will make you one of us. Um, and he must fight one of the other Fremen. Well, he, it's the first time while, while Paul has been trained to fight and, and potentially kill all of his life as a son of a Duke, he also has never actually had to kill someone. So it's a big, it's a big moment for him. It's part of it. And it also indicates some of his prophetic visions don't necessarily um what he sees isn't necessarily the future and he sees potential futures and that actually plays much very much into the into the broader storyline of dune he of course wins and and they set off across the desert and that's where the film ends but the scene following this is actually how they um dispose of the body how, how the body is, they take the moisture from the body and it goes back into the tribe. Paul cries because the, the, he's killed someone. The, the emotional impact hits him. And it's a moment where the tribe, you know, this particular uh, group of Fremen, using the word tribe isn't really right, um, they 
see him crying and they don't cry culturally it's just not part of their and of course it's a you know a moisture starved world right um there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of they've adapted that's just not part of their thing it's it's extremely rare for them and so seeing paul cry is a big deal he's giving water to the dead which is a, a sim- very symbolic thing for them because of course water is being precious and therefore we have the scene earlier where, where stilger spits on the desk it's a sign of respect whereas you know culturally we don't view that as a sign of respect in this particular context it is it's the same kind of thing and it's part of the myth and lore that feeds this um this rise to the to the of leadership that paul's on beginning the journey of and to me because i think that i think that coming back to that in the second film feels too late and I was just like, if you'd, if you'd given me that moment where the Fremen are looking, we end the film where the Fremen are looking at him going, what? Yeah. I think I, I'm not complaining about the ending. It's, it's not a bad ending. It's just like, I'm going, where's, shouldn't there? Okay. All right. That's fine. Well, I think you could, I think you can, it, it, from a certain point of view, it could make sense because that's sort of the end of book one where you're talking about, but it's also the beginning of his transformation into Muad'Dib and the Quasi-Hederach and all of that. So his integration into the Fremen community and, and thing starts with that because up until that point, they're still outsiders and yeah. you know we have the yes. scene, the battle where where Paul kills somebody. They're still considered outsiders until you get to that point, because you know, like Jamis said, uh, you know, Stilgar has been bested by Jessica, and so Stilgar doesn't have the right to lead the group anymore. And so Jamis challenges, you no, know, who's who's the champion and all of that. So now now that's kind of a from one from one standpoint. It's sort of a logical place to end because this is the end of the beginning. You know, this is, you know, we're at the very low point. This is, this is where the Empire Strikes Back ended. Right. You and know, they could very easily incorporate it into the second film. It's not, it's, uh, again, it's a preference thing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's where I would have seen the ending because I also know how I think the next film should start. <laughs> and that comes back to, that comes down to actually one of some things I was looking at because, of course, when you adapt something from a novel to a film you're gonna change things what works on the page doesn't necessarily work on the screen this was actually the argument for not having ornithopters be ornithopters in the uh in the the david lynch version they were like we can't make a thing that looks like it flies with wings well technologically they didn't really have the skill set then these work yeah and so they actually so some things you can adapt but there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens outside of Paul's life, off of Arrakis, in the Imperial Court, in all this stuff. There's stuff that we don't get in this film that is going on in the novel. Well, so, and, and, and uh, Mindy and I talked about this a little bit after we, we got through because she was asking how much of it how much of it is there? How much of it got left out? And, you know, 
it's it's one of those things where the broader world building like you're talking about all of the stuff that happens outside of dune outside of arrakis there's a lot of that that's that's left on the table because even at two and a half hours you still have a pretty dense story that you've got to you've got to get into this limited time frame and a well, lot of mention, that not, stuff not gets, even, has to get left out not even to mention the fact that if, if you were to do this as like a 10-part prestige series yeah. where tv pacing is one thing mm-hmm. film pacing is something different so there's a lot of side branch stories and side things that you necessarily would trim out because you've got a momentum of a story to tell. There's there's there are there's a process here to telling to doing a two and a half hour movie, right? There's no. you know how the story progresses, what speed things unfold, and this film takes its time in a lot of places, which is fine. I have no I have no problems with that. Um, but if it if it were I, <laughs> and the script is being written right now, so. Uh, uh, dear legendary, dear, yeah. dear Mr. Villain, um, I would actually lead off with some of the things we didn't see. I'd actually lead off with the Emperor. That's my opening scene of the of the first film. Is there's so there's several characters we haven't been introduced here. We haven't seen the navigators. Just probably saw that just pop up out of the corner of my eye in the chat. Yeah. We haven't seen the Emperor. We haven't seen some of these characters who matter to the second half of the story. And so I would actually. Your first scene isn't Paul or Jessica or or any of the folks who survived the attack, uh, because some of the we have characters who, in the novel, survived the attack on, on the Atreides, and then but they disappear during the battle scene. We don't see them again at the end of the film. That's what I would lead with. Is I would actually lead with the Emperor going, "I want you to destroy the house, the, the the house Atreides." Basically, right. Baron Harkonnen, you and I are going to do this thing together because this Leto Atreides guy, will someone not rid me of this troublesome duke? You know? Um, <laughs> right. And and then, then you spend like 30 minutes with all of that. And then you've set that so you can blow into the, the two hours and just really... Right. You know, you've got all your pieces in place, right? Yeah. That's what I would do. I, no, I, I think it's a I think it's a good idea. I I think not necessarily from the standpoint of backstory, but it's like you said, it's set up for what comes next because mm-hmm. you know, the overall thread, it's not just what's happening on Arrakis. It's the fallout and the consequences and the after action reports, if you will, and all of the stuff that takes place after house Atreides has fallen and uh, all of this other stuff goes in. So I think, I think you're, you're onto something there with, with starting at that point and going forward. You're because you're basically backtracking to a second part of the story and moving Mm -hmm. forward through a different thread to get to the same point where Paul and Jessica are now with the Fremen and, and now we go from there. Well, cause I mean, you could even do a time jump I, and I, I don't want this cause I actually want to see more of their, there's a period of time that they spend with them in the book where as they adapt to becoming Fremen yeah. and becoming a you know, part of this culture. And I don't want to lose that. Um, okay. Uh, but at the same time, there's a time jump in the novel 
where basically Paul goes from being a young man to basically being a war leader. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a time jump that, you know, the, the outer universe suddenly realizes that there's problems on that world that, that we kind of need. <laughs> uh, and oops, what's going on there? Why it's what? What's happening to all of the spice, you know, uh, production? Why are why are the Harkonnens getting attacked the way they are, et cetera, et cetera? Right. Um, and consequently, you know, I could see them doing that in terms of moving the story along, which I wouldn't necessarily want, uh, but I could see it happening again. It, things that end up on the cutting room floor, like uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, Robert points out, you know, they leave out the, the House Atomics. They leave out. There's a there's a lot of of big world building things that we got hints of we don't get a lot of information about the mentats right. why mentats are mentats you know the the idea that that, that there are we don't see computers i mean the, the they tell part of that story through the fact that we don't see them mm-hmm. um but at the same time you know um they never actually name piter uh, as uh, his name never actually appeared, no one ever actually says it. So Peter DeVries, who is the the Baron's mentat, uh, his name is never actually mentioned, and he's he's on screen for you know about as much time as Brad Dourif was done, was though. <laughs> well, and and you're talking about this. He's played by David Desmalchin here in this right, right. in this movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it, the. The stuff, and I, and I think, well, I wonder how much of that, where we, we show you, we don't tell you, there's not a lot of exposition, there's not a lot of, you know, as you know, voiceover and narration and 12 hours later and all of that. We, that says to me, and I could be reading this wrong. Possibly that that Villeneuve is assuming that the audience is smart enough to keep up. Well, based on his previous films and how he tells stories, I would say that's a fairly safe assumption. Mm-hmm. He's not a big person for spoon feeding you the narrative. Yeah. And I think that there I've, I've seen some folks who've said that they found it a little hard to follow. Um, and I've seen other folks saying. I had no trouble with it at all. Now, you and I come in from this, basically, you know, we we know the source material. Yeah. It's it's not, so it's... That's um, my other question, is how much, because, you know, $223 million to the box office worldwide, plus whatever it is that they get through through streaming. I have to wonder how many of those people have not read the books and they've been dragged to this movie by somebody who has read the book and said, we got to go see this. We got to go see this because you can't have that big a number box office wise and assume all of them have seen, uh, have read the books. Well, certainly when you look at your international numbers, although Dune, although Dune is a novel, certainly it's had international reach. It's been translated into dozens of languages. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, the book's been around for a while. It is it is a bona fide international hit uh, as a novel. Um, you know, it's what? How many decades old now? Uh, 1965. Uh, 
Right. So, you know, it's had time, it's had time to reach outside the, the English speaking audience, but at the same time, um, you know, you're, you're looking at it, certainly the, the film, the trailers certainly, uh, I think had an appeal for audiences who were necessarily familiar with the, with the books. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I'm sure there are folks out there who did have trouble following it, following along. Um, because not everything actually appeals to folks and it doesn't, you know, not everything works in terms of storytelling for, for every member of the audience. But I think the film is pretty straightforward. Um, some of the things that might confuse folks are some of the things where Villeneuve basically said, I'm going to show you an image of something mm -hmm. and I'm not going to explain it. And that's sort of his filmmaking style anyway. I mean, if you look at the Blade Runner 2049 or you look at the, the arrival, the arrival. Um, and oh, yeah, right. That, that's you, the one with, um, is Amy Adams in that one? Yeah, Amy arrival? Adams. Yeah. Um, you look at those and he he's giving you his, he's giving you the information, but he's not necessarily, again, he's not spoon feeding things. There's, there's not a, you don't have the voiceover that Lynch, because Lynch, whatever, whatever the cut issues because there were a few obviously hmm. so much he took his name off it um and doesn't want to talk about it <laughs> and doesn't want to see it <laughs> doesn't want to see Villeneuve's <laughs> version either uh clearly a painful memory but he tried to put in so much information into that film that it actually worked against the the film itself because yeah. voiceover is really hard to do. It's really hard to do folks. Well, and it's um, really tough to find that balance between world building and plot narrative. Right. Because you and, have to, you have to keep moving the plot forward while you're doing the world building. So all of the world building and, and the explanations and the here's, here's the things, what you need to know about this culture this setting this environment all of this has to be organic to whatever is going on in the plot so as we're moving forward with with the attack and and everything else it's in you get little bits and pieces in the dialogue of what's going on in this broader scope of everything um that's related to all of it because you know you get you get Duke Atreides, you get Leto Atreides basically saying, they're setting us up. They're setting us up for failure. And the the whole plot with the Harkonnens and the the reveal that the Emperor has set them up, because when Duncan comes in and, and confronts uh, Dr. Uh, What's-her-name? Oh, you know, Dr. Kynes. Dr. Kynes. And the, the Emperor was in on it. Basically, but you get that yeah. in a handful of lines, three or four lines of dialogue and bang, bang, oh, bang. Yeah. It's there. It's done. I mean, when she, when, when she says, um, you know, I have been ordered not to see anything. Yeah. I've been ordered not to say anything. And you don't, you know, the look on Duncan's face tells you what you need to know. You know, it's, it's very simple, straightforward kind of bit. Um, and, we, all, I mean, we do get a little bit of an exposition. Jessica gives Paul uh, an explanation of a relatively brief but thorough explanation of the Bene Gesserit breeding program. Mm -hmm. But it fits in context of what's just happened to Paul with 
with um, um, Mother Gaius Mohem. Yeah. And um, the the situation, it's a it's a, it's an organic moment, and it's a tense one too, because Paul Paul shouldn't have been listening to that. He's being a <laughs> but he but of course he would be because they're talking about him and yeah. he's you know and well so, and then I mean, you it, get in in tandem with that you get the scene right after where she's confronting mother moheim and saying you know you know she's you shouldn't have done that and the, reverend mother is basically saying how you shouldn't have had a boy you right. know and this whole thing about you know you've had this son in defiance of everything and everything that we teach it's all supposed to go through the girls in the line and here you've gone off doing this because you assume that he's going to be the chosen one you know and, and well, it becomes a chosen one story but it's Jessica who's wanting to prod that chosen one narrative a little bit well, and even that, that really, what you still get the sense that it wasn't the driving force for her trying to, I, I want to be the mother of the Kwisak Haderach. She did it out of love yeah. for Leto, which is, which is one of the reasons there's so, her, that <clears throat> her superiors in, in the Bene Gesserit are not pleased with her because doing things, and we don't, we don't get really get a sense of this in, in here, and I'm sure we will, because I, I think we're still getting the Bene Gesserit TV series. That's my understanding. Yes, um, which is, which would be great because you can dive into the fact that Jessica's biggest sin in the eyes of the Bene Gesserit is not that she tried to jump a generation in the breeding program. It's that she did it out of love mm-hmm. because it's like okay, you can marry him. That's fine. In fact, we like it because now we've got someone close to this particular guy, right, and we can, we can we can we can we can align his interests to ours. Um, but you're not supposed to have kids out of love. What's wrong with you? There's a breeding <laughs> program. <laughs> we have a plan. Well, um, and and the and, other thing, you know, Rebecca Ferguson has said that she'd be she'd be up for participating in the Benny Gesserit series, but. Sure. It's in a different time period. I don't know how they would do that unless she's the framing device to you know, do us as a flashback and here's where we were. Type, well, type or you could thing. also have you could have a Ben who has a hint of the precog abilities that Paul right. has very strongly because because part of the the again, folks, if you're not familiar with the bigger picture of Doom. Part of what they're trying to do with with, with breeding the Kwisatz Haderach, this 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 person, who this, this male person, because basically, again, we don't get this in the movies, in the movie, and that's disappointing. Um, uh, no, Robert, Jessica does not know she's a Harkonnen yet, um, and because she won't know until she gets the Water of Life. Right. Uh, but the the ancestral memories that the Bene Gesserit can access. When they when they get exposure to the water of life, is something that they have not been able to get to happen with a man. It's worked for women, but it hasn't worked for men. And the men who again the, the men who have tried have died. And so Paul is actually the first person, the first uh, man who's able to survive that experience and unlock his uh, ancestral memories, and he gets to unlock both his. Uh, male and female ancestral memories 
So this basically makes him the guy who can like plot the future and build the golden path and and save humanity. Big air quotes there. Save humanity. Yes. The problem is is it doesn't work like that. And and much to Paul's much to Paul's great tragedy, he discovers it's not that simple. Yeah. Well, and you know, saving the universe never is. Right? Well, and I think that, you know, we don't we don't often get the um what happens after you save the world stories. They're out there yeah. and some of them are quite good. Uh, but this is that's definitely, you know, that's that's Dune Messiah right there is what hap- what happens when you win? Yeah. Um, well, is that and, a good thing? And we even we even did an interview. Um, let me let me vamp for a minute. Like, well, while I find it, because we did an interview with someone who has done that very type of story. And it was uh, this past year. I want to see if I can find it really quick. It might have been, in t- maybe it was in 2020. Let me look here. But it was basically this idea of when the kids, the chosen one, has saved the planet, what happens afterwards? What's the, right. what's the next piece of that? Veronica Roth. Um, and the book was called Chosen Ones, and I think she's got another one that's going to come after. Whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. I don't need you to play, I just need to find it. Um, but it's, it's talking about that very kind of thing, where this is, it takes place five years after they saved the world, and there are heroes and celebrities and all this other stuff that comes with it, but we just want to get back to our normal lives and leave us alone. And, and now circumstances are such that they can't do that. There's a, there's a book, a science fiction book series that I actually like uh, called the what, poor man's war series. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basic premise, the first several novels are about this, this war. And then, then they win. And the guy who has become a hero Hero to some, villain to others, depending on which side of the war you're you were on, because there's lots of survivors and his face was plastered over everywhere. And he's just one of those guys who was in the right place at the wrong time um, or the wrong place at the right time. And uh, he just wants to go back to school. He's in his 20s. He wants to get a college <laughs> degree, but no one will leave him alone. Yeah. They either want him to be a hero or they hate him because he was on the other side of the war and he just wants to get his degree. <laughs> and uh, his life is his life is you know completely changed because of these things. So there's interesting stories you can tell with this. And when you look at the larger narrative, you know clearly that's what Herbert was doing as he dives into, you know, the very f- God Emperor. I don't. I, I would. I would be really. I think God Emperor is almost going to have to be a TV series. You think? Because the uh, because of pacing. Because there's so much of God Emperor is discussion. Mm. There's a lot of action in it, but so much of it is people, you know, Leto's diary entries, Leto II's diary entries, um, are critical to the story. And I don't know how you would pull out, you can adapt that narration into something else, but you couldn't just not have it be there. It's got to it's got to be there in some form for the story to be coherent. I think yeah. so. So I think you would almost have to go with that being like a ten a ten episode prestige series thing. Um, 
but you could certainly i think dune, dune messiah is almost just the right length for a movie it's it's a you know again it's 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 not it's a it's a full novel but when you've just finished reading dune and you pick up dune messiah you're like this is light yeah <laughs> but it's also a darker it's also a darker story it's it is in many ways the empire strikes back of the dune saga because mm -hmm. it's there's so much you know a new hope ends on a high note empire strikes back goes okay yes but you're in the middle of a war yeah and and then and, and again doom messiah is all about the consequences so well and and i want to go back to this one thing about you know because we're we're talking about story versus world building and all of this this you know moving forward and everything the character of dr liette kynes mm. gender swap for the movie but the character has a specific function the character does a certain thing to move the story along to move the narrative along and Gender doesn't matter. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking afterwards, there's no narrative reason and nothing gets added to the character by flipping the gender. It shouldn't well, matter, but it tells me that somebody made a conscious choice to change this character into a woman. And I have to wonder why, because the character serves a function that once that function is done, the character's gone. Well, there's two things. There's two things with, with kinds that I noticed. One, the death is different. So in, in the novel, um, Kynes is captured by the Harkonnens, severely wounded, and sent out into the desert to die. Right. Here, there's a lot more, and I think I think it, to the benefit here because they we don't we only have a I think one real other scene to show that the Fremen are uh, a significant fighting force against the Sadakar. And so it's another part of the, okay, there's one of me and I'm dying, but I'm still going to take out some of, you know, this, this incredible fighting force. I think, it, I think it's, that's why that death scene was changed because give it's because we only have the scene really where the, the Fremen come up out of the desert. And, yeah. and, and so we don't really get, we don't see much of the Fremen being the fighting force that we know that they're going to become or actually already are, and, and but become even more so. So I think that actually again shows that, and of course we also get the uh, the it's the declaration of 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 allegiance. Really, it's like yes, I might I might be forced to do the things by the emperor, but I you know my allegiance is is to my my people. I have only yeah. one master at Shai Halud. But so, the okay. thing, but the thing about it is though, you can still do all of that with the character being male right. as as written in the book. Well, and I think I think in this case, I think Villeneuve actually has mentioned that he felt that so many of the main characters of the film are uh, male, and that he wanted to add a little more balance in terms of the characters. And Kynes, while not a big part, is actually a fairly critical one uh, in terms of revealing the fact that. You know what's actually going on without 
giving away a whole lot right being to some degree actually explaining some of the aspects of the world that they're in um however you feel about gender swapping uh, uh characters uh, the, the performance was fine i think i think she did a fantastic job in terms of, of playing the part yeah i um, didn't i didn't have a problem I, with the performance i and, think that's but I, it, it I, just I think that's unnecessary it's like he just said that he just wanted more women in the in in the film because no. if you look at the if you look at the the cast we get you know we basically have chani who is very little in the film zendaya right. which is fine because she's really not in the first part of dune and that's right. so her presence not being there we have lady jessica which is again we have, we spend a fair amount of time with her which is great because she's very important to the story um, but especially in this first half of the film, we don't have the the uh, very many female characters. So I think that's I believe I've read something that were, that's pretty much why he was doing it, and I think it, it works fine. Now, interestingly enough, um, as I recall, Liet Kynes in the book was um, Chani's father, so this would flip that and it would be Chani's mother um so there's the uh, uh the emotional impact of course of losing a family member right um which i think doesn't change from from losing losing a parent is losing a parent um but of course the fremen also have a different attitude about you know the 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 world they um the world they live in uh you know makes it very hard uh, actually and robert uh, i i got the impression from this that that's the same thing they were doing here is that kinds was the imperial ecologist who came to arrakis mm-hmm. paul says that you know she she loved a fremen who died so she's still she's still the outsider to the culture who became part of the culture yeah um which again makes that death scene even you know a little bit more powerful because you know she's become part of this world and the emperor you know well, she's she surprised says, she's gotten stabbed in the back. No. Yeah, she's she's even, she even says I'm Fremen. You know. Right. She, I mean, she's she tells them I'm you know, she knows where she knows what world she's part of. Now, interestingly enough, um, we get into we get into quibbles here because we review things and we critique things, and there's always something. <laughs> Did you get a very curious? And I realize there's been another movie version of it. But every now and again, there were a fair amount of visual nods to the David Lynch film. There are there are scenes, there are some of the imagery. The still suits look very much. I mean, they're different. Yeah. But at the same time, they kind of they look they, a lot like. Yeah, they do. They do evoke a little bit of that. I will be honest. I have. I have not seen David Lynch's Dune probably probably since it came out. I think I've okay. only seen it maybe once or twice. Um so for me, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm seeing more Lawrence of Arabia than oh, Lynch's yeah. Dune. Because, oh, it's very because much of all of, the, all of the, the landscapes and the big wide shots of the desert and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, but there's th- there's a fair amount of visual texture that that I think really evokes. I mean, there's um, and and interestingly enough, story structure. 
Yeah. Um, that actually has, I mean, and, and some of that, of course, is adapting the novel. It's got the beats, right? I mean, Lynch didn't, Lynch didn't screw up the story beats as bad as some people think he did. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest, there are many sins with that movie, which I have a certain fondness for just because it's a, it's a valiant attempt to do something really hard. Mm-hmm. It doesn't succeed. But it, the biggest issue with Dune, with Lynch's Dune for me, the big, big issue is you get to the end and that's not how the book ends. That's not even <laughs> close to how the book ends. What do you mean it's raining? That's not right. Um, I, so, wonder, I, mean, you know. I wonder if um, I wonder if Lynch's Dune is available through Amazon Prime for uh, for a watch party. I need to I need to see if I can look that up and see if find that because that would be interesting to see if we'd be able to do something like that if i had any other complaints with the film and i i guess i do um is that some of the decisions made to move the story along Mm -hmm. um i would have liked to have more information about the mentats i would have liked more information about you know getting getting at least some pieces of this and i realize again it's it's a decision adapting things i can't I'm, i'm second guessing somebody else's work that's not you know that has its own set of problems yeah um but there's there's pieces of the world that i know are there that we don't get and i feel like this story is not potentially as rich for that it's not bad and again it's adapting it's it's how this stuff works but at the same time i feel like i'm missing out a little bit that i don't get the mentat what what mentats are a little bit of world some of that world building thing right um and the fact that we don't know um okay so sci-fi snob if that was actually the end of david lynch's dune it would have become a <laughs> that would have been, been amazing uh, but it does it would be even it'd be even more of a cult hit. It does bring up something <laughs> though, a uh, an observation, an observation that Mindy made, Mindy made uh, coming out of it, because in the beginning, where uh, where the Atreides are in the beginning, there's a lot of water. There are bodies of water. Sure. There's rain. Mm-hmm. There's all of that. And when you get to Arrakis with the sand everywhere, uh she she remembered what i had said when i when i read the book one of the things that struck me was how herbert describes the desert environment in language evocative of water mm-hmm. and when you look at some of the visuals in this movie villain of apparently he dives into that as well because he's some of the things that the sand does, some of the things with the worms and the and you know riding on the on the back with the fremen and everything, she she mentioned that she noticed visually, you you had a little bit of that playing because you had the water at sure. the beginning and then you have water type of movement and and conditions through the desert uh, that really kind of plays with what Herbert had put in the book and how he described the, the region. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think you end up with the, with the idea that desert power and, and there's, 
it's almost a different kind of ocean. Interestingly enough, there were three British scientists who recently did a computer model of Arrakis. Yeah. They were like, okay, based on how Herbert describes it, is this a, is, could this world work? And so they basically took his modeling, they took the maps from the Dune Encyclopedia, they took the descriptions of the weather patterns, and they put it into a computer. And they put, they had crunched those numbers. <laughs> and it took like, with a supercomputer, and it took like three days. So if this is, you know, the processing speed we've got now, this is a serious amount of work. Right. And it came back and said, um, kind of. So it, it it came up with it came up with some you know what we know about climatology and how planets atmospheres work and and what the tech you know the tectonic state of Dune and all these things how this stuff would influence the 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 environment of that world and they there were some differences that they found um, that there would actually be the places where the bulk of the story takes place would actually be really, really unpleasant, more unpleasant than, than they are in the book. Um, but there would be pl places on the world, on Dune, that would be much better to live in. Sure, so they're I like, see that. It's like, okay, so, so the One Hat Planet, right? So this is something that, that it's a star, it came out of a Star Trek, really. It's like every, everybody on this planet dresses exactly the same. You know, they live on a water world. They live in a desert world. They live in a forest world. They live in, you know, every, and, and they've all got, you know, the one hat, right? They, that's how you, that's how you tell them apart costume wise. Yeah. Right. It's a visual shorthand in storytelling. So Dune to some degree has that, but they're like, okay, you know, eh, you know what? It's pretty close. You could actually, <laughs> this world could almost exist. Yeah. It's not perfect. And, and quite frankly, Herbert wouldn't have known some of this science. It, it, they, we didn't know this, some of this science when it came to, to how atmosphere works and how yeah. other, you know, how planetary development works. So he's just kind of like, they're like, yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. There's studies out there. I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the scientist. It ju I just saw this today. They should, they should run a model to see what would cause SETI Alpha 6 to explode. The way it did. You know, uh, we've talked about this before, Jason. <laughs> Some backstories just aren't important. I know. I know. Although I tell you what, so one of the so so here's some of the things I, I'm gonna predict for the second film that are not gonna make it in. Okay. Um and it and and quite frankly, I'm I'm saddened by this. Um there is a character named Count Fenric who is a relatively minor character. But he's an important in terms of in terms of appearances and page count. But he's a fairly important character yeah. in terms of the backstory of the world. He's a there but for the grace of God character. Oh, okay, right. Because he's an almost Kwisak Haderach. He's like just off the path and not quite the right line. He could have been with a slightly a ever so slightly different sort of circumstances. And he's an interesting contrast to Paul and that arc that I think that really really builds this level of detail into that world. But he's a character that it's going to be so easy for them to cut out because ultimately he's not critical to the story. 
the core story. Yeah. And I think so. I think there's going to be some some things like that. Um, Raban, Dave Batista, of course, hugely popular, uh, you know, fantastic actor, not given a lot to do here. Um, I'm just being angry. Um, <laughs> well, Raban, that's kind of been that's Raban. That's how he was in the in the Lynch version yeah. too. It's just Raban is is big and loud and angry. Um, but if you're going to bring Fade in, you're going to bring Fade Ruatha in, and he is, of course, important to the story, so he's got to show up in the second film. You're going to... Raban is just going to fade into the background. He's, he's just going to. Um, there's only so much only so much screen time. You've got to spend it with the people who matter. Um, <laughs> and I think... Uh, I wonder how much how much we're going to trim down some of the continue continue to trim down some of the bigger world picture things because there's you know the setting up the Ixians setting up the 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 Benetilax, setting up some of these other uh, cultural societies within the empire who actually have an impact. I mean the Ixians and the Tlaxu play rather heavily into Dune Messiah. Mm -hmm. So how much are they going to be introduced in the second half of this, you know, without being, you know, you don't, again, we don't want info dumps. So I think there's going to be some stuff that's trimmed out or at least minimized greatly. So that if we get a third film, it's going to be a lot more focused on those things. Do you um, think, do you think Fade would have the booty shorts? I think you're only allowed in one, one time and one place to have the booty shorts. So I mean, what, if I mean, they, what if they change it to? Who else but Sting? Oh, I know. Who I know, else I know. but Sting? What do we know? Who's playing Fade in? I don't think we do. We don't have any kind of a cast list for part two. I don't think it has been cast, or at least it, it hasn't been announced who who has been cast. Right. I'm sure Villeneuve has somebody in mind. Um, I mean, you I'm could sure do a loincloth for the emperor. And think, hmm? You could do a loincloth, I guess, maybe. Well, interestingly enough, again, we come back to things that changed for the book. The the fight between um, um, Paul and and his name just Jamis. went out of my head. Yeah, uh, Janice um, was basically fought without still suits. They basically did strip down because um, mm -hmm. uh, they because the fight takes place here. It takes place in the desert. There, it took place back at the siege. Right. Um, and 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 of course, we also get, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in terms of Janice has a wife and Paul inherits that wife in the book. Um, much to his like, uh, what? <laughs> huh? uh, what? Uh, I'm, I'm what now? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly things. And, and yeah, uh, sci fi snob. Definitely. If, if you could flesh out a lot of these things in the Bene Gesserit series. But that brings me to an issue that we've talked about before which is content that you have to watch something else mm -hmm, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. so and quite frankly if if you're looking at this tv series building on the movie that's one thing it's the reverse that quite frankly um audiences don't seem to react well to it's not an inherently evil thing to do. 
it's you know it could work but audiences don't seem to don't seem to react well to that well and and just looking at part one as itself just by itself it doesn't feel like there are any holes as we get to the end as we get to the part where they go off into the siege it 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 feels fairly complete as mm -hmm. a part one there's not anything where you're going I don't understand this. Why is this that? That we're going to have right. to have 12 books and 32 comic books and an audio thing and a podcast right. and a TV series or two to explain it. Looking at you, Kathleen. Um, but the the idea that you could expand on the world building, I think in this particular case, you could add the content content i really hate that word but you can add the other programs other shows other other stories that augment mm -hmm. what we're getting in the movies without having to come at it and saying well you know that scene at the 35 minute mark that we, we're going to explain right. that here in this 12 hour tv show well, or something. I, I mean the focus on the benedict sort is i think a really smart one because there's so much rich history that appears on the printed page uh, that is ripe for storytelling. Yeah. In fact, in the Bene Gesserit series, you could get into something like uh, the, the Ix and the Taiaxu, and you could also get into, uh, oh, I don't know, certain Butlerian jihads um, that are, you know, the, you, this, this storytelling could find a way into that a lot more uh, naturally than in a, in a, two and a half, three hour movie. Yeah. Um, now I think we, one thing we didn't really talk about, this film is gorgeous. Oh yes. The yes, film is, is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, you mentioned Lawrence of Arabia. It's got that big sense of scale. It's got these sweeping vistas, the, the composition, the, the moments where the film just lets you watch something happen uh, without, you know, you've got, you've got big sweeping music and some yeah. of it's a little strange at times. I'm it like lingers. Oh yeah, which is yeah. I don't have a problem with. Yeah, give, give me give me a giant spaceship rising out and flying across and then descending from the heavens and and letting it. It's well, it's starship porn, but it's it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I uh, I'm I fine with that. I find it interesting too that the giant spaceships look like the worms. Ish. That was something else that, that is the visually, and, and this is how they're described in the novel. So, I mean, if you're being faithful to the novel, you're being, you, you're going to evoke a, some of the same visual things that in Lynch's Dune, mm. these big giant cylinders, yeah. right? That's how they're described. So yes, actually, yeah, the, there is something to that. And I think that Herbert probably did that on purpose to basically give you this, uh, uh, you know, the, how, how the empire travels versus how the Fremen on travel on on arrakis yeah. so yeah i know the film is just beautiful the i, film is I just think beautiful. the other part of it yeah i know i mentioned i mentioned lawrence of arabia and the other sense that i got was 2001 mm -hmm. where you have those long slow deliberate not not slow boring but slow deliberate pieces in this story that gives it time to breathe mm -hmm. and gives everybody time to stay 
with what's happening. And it's not just bang, 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 action, 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 exposition, action, 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 exposition, CGI, 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 you know, fussy, 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 fussy. You know, it, 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 it takes its time. I want a Bob Fosse version of Dune. Right? Because that would just, I mean. Bob Fosse and. What would that look like? Amazing. Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky and Fosse. A Dune, a Dune musical. A Dune musical, right? I know. It's like Dune the musical about Bob Fosse. That would be incredible. I don't know what... By Sting. By Sting. Sting could write the music for the Dune he musical. the music and... and yeah, yeah it, there it, we go. You know, if only Fosse wasn't dead. Um, <laughs> well, and I, I think well, you get Paula I, Abdul to do it. <laughs> I want this parody now. I want I right? want someone to do a parody version of this just to amuse me. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, think, by the I way, I Dune is not available for a watch party over on Twitch. So, hello, Cam. Yeah. Good to see you. So, no, um, I I don't have it. So, Robert, um, I think that that the potential to get to get to Chapter House, you got to go through God Emperor first. And I think that I, I am as much as I want to see it because I would be, I would be there for that 10 episode, 12 episode prestige series for, for God Emperor. Um, I just really, I have, I'm super skeptical they would ever do it. Yeah. Um, I'd love it if, if they could pull it off, but I'm skeptical, but then yes, you get into the honored metrics and you get into the whole bigger universe and, and, and that sort of thing. That could be a lot of fun. Not to mention the fact that, um, the craziness of some of what happens in the later novels would be just funny. yeah, Beast Rabon doing jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, right? someone does need to do this just just to, just to keep me amused. But but not no, us. It's, I'm, I I have to say I have to say that that you know while while I'm aware of the things that are missing that I want, you know my personal wants from a Dune movie, right? Yeah. Um, because the film is very deliberate, because the film is very paced, because the film has its own plan on how it's going to tell you the story, I quite liked it. I enjoyed it. There were things again, too. just because it just because it doesn't have a scene that I want. Welcome to the world, fandom. Uh, you don't always get what you want out of the perfect thing. There's no perfect adaptation. It doesn't exist, right? Um, but I think that it it does so much with what you have in this in this runtime you're, yeah. you're able to get so much story in there and, and build this world so much i think as an adaptation while it's not perfect it's really really good yeah it's very I, very, as, very solid as a fan of the a fan of of the novels um i'm i'm very pleased with this adaptation yeah. now um Rock. jason momoa sat there and said he goes i want i want to see the director's cut of dune and Villeneuve said, "You did. This is it. <laughs> this is, it. <laughs> this is exactly they. This is they let me do what I wanted, guys. This, there is no extra stuff." Well, and it's funny because um, I the Screen Rants got an article talking about uh, Warner Brothers and how misguided they are in that they're constantly saying that they're, you know, they're doing these director centric projects, you know, uh, right. you know, uh, uh, justice league with Snyder and now Villeneuve with, with Dune. 
but they're not fully investing in it. And it's with the with Snyder, you had this whole five movie plan that got tanked because the reviews in the box office for Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman weren't exactly up to snuff according to what the studio expectations were. And the whole thing gets derailed. Warner Brothers got spooked and they said, well, well, well nobody wants this. We can't do it anymore. We're going to, you know, and so you have all of this setup that doesn't go anywhere. And this article on Screen Rant was basically talking about how, how Warner Brothers seems to be hesitant and, and there's trepidation. They don't want to fully commit to Dune as it's going to play out. Now, we do now have the commitment for Part 2, but we don't know if it's going to go beyond that. If we're going to get... You know, Dune Messiah or or Children of Dune or or any of the Harkonnen I'm, stuff or any of that. I'm I'm gonna this this is not a defense of Warner Brothers. But at the same time, there's a and I think I think some of this comes down to the the concept of the franchise and how important it's become. Yeah. Because it used to be that if you had a film and it didn't do well, it didn't do what your expectations were, it didn't make the money that you wanted to, you just stopped. You didn't make the sequel. So when it comes to the Snyder films, Warner Brothers tried a course correction uh, because they got the reviews for Man of Steel and then Batman v Superman, and people sat there and said, you know, uh, these complaints, this complaint, this complaint, these reviews, et cetera, et cetera. Fan reaction was this and that. And the folks who loved it, loved it. And the folks who didn't, didn't. And everyone was very vocal about it. Yeah. So they tried to do a course correction. The Justice League is going to be lighter. It's going to have more humor. <laughs> it's going to have, right. And, and, and even if Snyder had stayed on the picture, even if his daughter uh, uh, hadn't died, um, you would have had a different film than what he originally envisioned yeah and whether or not that film was the snyder cut we got or not it would have been a different movie than than fans had envisioned um would it have had the and and it certainly would have been shorter than the snyder cut so it wouldn't have been the snyder cut (laughs) but you know so warner brothers I, i i it almost feels like there's like the older generation of people at warner brothers who are like, if it doesn't make money, you stop making it. And then there are the folks who are like, uh, but it's franchises. We make franchises now. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that, 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 that's a, the warring of, of, of mindsets there, I think, has not benefited Warner Brothers. I think part of it, too, is this sense because there has been such a turnover in executives there no, that there's maybe a hesitation in committing to anything long-term because if this first movie in the franchise doesn't do what we want it to do in the box office, you lose your job, the franchise goes away, and the fans never get the rest of it. Right. Uh, Well, and I think that that there's also, you know... uh, there's a reaction, I think, that Warner Brothers probably is feeling a little, a little gun shy, considering they tried to do, they tried to have their own Marvel universe, 
It didn't work. Yeah. So now they got a multiverse, and that's fine. And people are like, okay, whatever. Do you do, do your movie? Entertain me, right? Well, they um, they went backwards with it because you know Marvel sat and did how many solo films before they did the Avengers? Sure. And Justice League, you know, Warner Brothers wanted to just jump right into the group without the buildup. We didn't well, earn and, it. But yeah, you know, and again, if we got in Justice League, was the what was the the Miller one? Justice League, Justice uh, League. Dark, no, no. Um, Mortals, Justice League, Mor- Mortal. Justice League, Mortal, Justice League, yeah. Mortal. Yeah, we would have jumped right into it as well uh, with the Justice League, but that would that was a different time. That was a it was a different time. It was a different world. It was pre Marvel Universe back in the day. Uh, we've, around children before we've got the a, Marvel we've got a co- Universe actually existed. Yeah, we've got a couple of comments here from Robert over on Facebook. Any comment on the referencing of Brando's Colonel Kurtz as Baron Harkonnen? And then he says, if you're doing a watch party, perhaps the fan edit Dune Alternative Edition Redux available on YouTube. Those are possibilities. And that's possible. I have somewhere in my apartment in, in my... St- pile of of films a dvd copy of the three and a half hour cut of lynch's dune yeah um and it was uh it improves the film but again it's some he hasn't seen it either he hasn't he hasn't hasn't watched any of it (laughs) well and i think that's interesting about about harkonnen and kurtz because that it's 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 been so long since I've seen a lot of this, but the the idea of this um, isolated back, I'm going to I'm going to fight the war my way type of thing, you know. But but he's you know he's in he's in league with the emperor. They're both. They're both going at it and saying, okay, we have to get rid of Atreides because Atreides is the good guy and we have to get rid of the good guy. Well, so so I think that one of the things that both both Lynch is doing, and this is actually a place where I think it falls down just a little bit in here. Uh, shockingly, David Lynch's versions of things kind of lean into the more grotesque visuals, right? Mm-hmm. David Lynch, you don't say. Yeah. Um, and so you ended up with a very grotesque Baron. And here, while he doesn't have as much screen time, um, you end up with a with a very cold and calculating Baron who doesn't actually have that much dialogue. And one of the things that the book does, I think, better than any of the adaptations we've gotten so far, is that the Baron is very intelligent. And he is very, very, very good at planning. And he is very funny. There's a dark sense of humor that runs through the Baron that neither film has actually captured particularly well from the novel. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I understand there's, again, you've got choices to make and, and he's the bad guy and, and you know, these things. But in the book, again, more time to, to breathe with the characters. Yeah. He's a lot more, he's more vile in some ways in the book because you get to go into the, the, the monstrosity of him more. But he's also, there's a, there's a, a personableness to him a kind of a charm which explains how you could end up with the fact that he bred and that lady jessica is spoiler alert for the next movie folks 
Lady Jessica is his daughter. Yeah. Um, so it's there's there's because when he was a younger man, he didn't look like this. He didn't. He did. He wasn't. And you know, um, and he's also fatter in the novel than he's been in either adaptation, either film adaptation. He's big guys. He's not. They've in this film they've scaled his entire body up. Mm-hmm. They've made him. They've made him bigger. They made him somewhat fat, but they've also made him almost bigger than other characters. It's like the family runs large. Because right. you look at Raban. Um, but in the novel, he's corpulent, <laughs> and the he doesn't fly so much as he's got the things, the the repulsor things to keep him. So he can walk at all, right? Because he's that heavy, right? It, so. It's like um, visually think about there's a there is a Monty Python skit, Mr. Creosote. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. yes, uh, not that big, but <laughs> but close. Bring me a Just, bucket. One waffle thin mint. Yes, that and I think if, but I also think if you had done Harkonnen like that, you run the risk of comic relief. You know, I, I know, not I, I necessarily think, parody, but it gets it gets to the point where maybe it takes you out a little bit. Right, and this is why I think that I, I really want—I would like to see the second film start with with the Baron and and the Emperor and getting more and diving into that because I think you get more chance with um, to really see more depth in the character. Because of course, having your villains have depth—that's good. That's, yeah. It gives you a chance to, to tell a deeper story. Um, but and, you don't necessarily have to sympathize with your villains. No, it's no, good it's that they're villains. The, and I think that that. To some degree, um, one of the things that that you lose out in adaptation is some of the backstory and some of the because you you lose out on the actual feud mm-hmm. between the Harkonnens and the Atreides here. You don't get a, you don't dive into the, uh, Canley, the art of assassination, the art of the the art of the the courtly duel that doesn't ex- we don't have that here because yeah. but again it's not necessarily details that you need for the story. It's world building. It's backstory that isn't but necessarily You do necessary. get a couple of pieces in the dialogue between Harkonnen and, and Atreides, the, the the last scene they have together. Oh, and yeah. and then, of course, the, the planning and the scheming and here's what's going to happen. We're going to kill them all. So you get a sense just from those few lines that you know, especially that last scene between them, you get a sense that this has been building, and Harkonnen is, not, is doing is doing this because there's there's reasons why. It's not just, you know, it's not just getting back at Atreides because he got kicked off the planet. Right, and I think that that's why we really need a little bit of information, a little bit more information about the plot between the Emperor. Well, why is the Emperor? Why did the Emperor do this thing? What yeah. is what is the reason for taking away the uh, the you know Dune from the Harkonnens and then giving to the Atreides? If you're only going to kill the Atreides, and well, it's it's all politics, and it's if, the if Emperor you... basically looking at the the Council of Worlds, the Landsrad, and yeah. going, the Duke's more popular than I am. He's a threat. Yeah, 
I've got to reduce the threat. And quite frankly, well, and you do that. Our Conans aren't giving me problems. You can do that. Like you're saying, that's your, your prologue Mm -hmm. where you open with that. Then you have the giant Dune part two, and then you get into pick up where Paul and Jessica are going into the siege. I, I think that it, it's a part of the story that I think actually does matter and needs to be there. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see it definitely because I think it's, I think it's important to, uh, the emperor isn't evil. And I think it's something that, that I'm, uh, we Lynch Lynch did this well, I think. And I think they actually did it well in, in the sci-fi miniseries. The emperor is just trying to stay in power. He's yeah. not, He's not actively evil. It's just the Atreides are in his way, and uh, it's, a poli- a, it's a political. Threat. It's political decision. Yeah, and yeah. and it's unfortunate. There's going to be a whole lot of dead people when he's done, but he rules the galaxy. There's a lot of other people out there. Yeah. So you I'm know, statistically I'm looking, speaking, it's only one. It's only one planet. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the list of what's available for the watch party. Uh, Lynch's Dune is not. However, Capricorn One is. Um, I'm also seeing the Tomorrow War, The Expanse, all five seasons of The Expanse. Um, Young Frankenstein. Science fiction show on TV right now. Yeah, Young Frankenstein, The Boys, I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, all four seasons of Enterprise, uh, the first season of Invincible, Outlander, Oh uh, wait, what is that? That's a that's not the show. That's a movie. Voyager. Uh, there's a Caviezel, There's a Jim Caviezel movie called I think called Outlander, which was a Beowulf riff. I think. Yeah, two thousand nine. Okay, uh, that's probably what that is. Um, Heavy Metal two thousand. Uh, no, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> I don't want to watch. I don't even I don't even want to watch it again to mock it, Jason. Prometheus. I just don't like the movie. Yeah, Prometheus is there. Um, what else? Armageddon, all six seasons of Grimm. Captain America was on here, but it's not anymore. And there was another. Ooh, wait! If it's the Sean Connery Outlander, uh, which uh, that, that was that's Outland. Outland. That was Out- yeah, yeah. Uh, if Outland's on there, let's we could do we could do Outland. I love uh, I'm, I, it's a Western in space. It's fun. It's a solid movie. Uh, no. Underrated too. But huh. uh, Runaway with Tom Selleck. Is on there. Is Gene on Simmons list. was the villain in that one, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes. I've seen that, and I remember mostly that Gene Simmons was the villain. I can't tell you much <laughs> about the movie. I know I've seen it. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. But um, it doesn't. It doesn't hasn't made much of an impression, my friend. Yeah. So there are a few things here that are available for watch parties. The the documentary about making. Uh, uh, making Star Wars, L Street, nineteen seventy six, I think is what it's called. That's gone, um, which is kind of that's disappointing. Uh, I'm looking Ooh, for ri- V, and I don't see V. See, the original miniseries would be a great one to do a watch thing on because that's that still holds up as being a really solid piece of sci fi entertainment. Yeah. Uh, there's a documentary here called the S- the Saturn Five Story, uh, which is it's a it's a you know the development of the yeah. Saturn Five rocket. It's not Saturn Three, right? That's not available. 
I was going to say, because give me... Uh... Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff here. But... Uh... Some of the some of the good stuff we can't we can't uh, we can't right. well, access through a through a watch party because the watch parties right. give us very specific you know give us my understanding as it was explained when it first started was that there was going to be a, a limited library for a while and then it was going to open up to everything that was available through Amazon because. Amazon owns Twitch now, so anything in the Amazon Prime library. But that doesn't seem to be the case. And it well, frustrates yeah. me. Well, <clears throat> what And what no, Galactica 1980 planned, is not there either. I was going to say, what things were planned when things were planned yeah. versus what changed when the, the world changed? The, fo uh, the, the fog changed. The fog from 1980. Ooh, great. Um, Adrian Barbeau. Explorers. No, oh, okay. Um, Death Ship Highlander. The original uh, Highlander? The original 1986 Highlander. Um, Elvira's Movie Macabre, Night of the Living Dead. Um, the Dog Who Saved Halloween. Oh, well, there you go. Yep. Murder on the Orient Express, which is not a not a genre picture, but, you know, uh, well, it's it's a different genre. Yeah, Elvira's movie macabre, Beast from Haunted Cave, um, and Elvira's movie macabre, The Satanic Rites of Dracula, Transylvania Six Five Thousand, a uh, film that just isn't as good as you want it to be. I know, right? Who um, is Crawl on there? Crawl. Oh, that's a good. That's a good question. Let's take a look. See, there's a there's a film. It that... is not, but the Beastmaster is, and so is the Princess Bride. We could do a watch party for the Princess Bride. Really? Yes. That would be all right. Actually, the Beastmaster would be fun too because it is. <laughs> Talk about adaptations that are not adaptations of the source material. Yeah. Right. That's an in-name only Willow adaptation. Yeah. Oh, Willow. So yeah, Willow is. Um, Are late... we getting a sequel to Willow? Uh, we're getting a TV series. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's several things there, so we can definitely uh, we can definitely start planning some watch parties. We are one follower away from 100 on our Twitch. So twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me. And I, I'd said, you know, once we hit to hundred, we, we start the watch parties, but we could do, uh, we could start planning for a few and, uh, and, and start working that into a schedule. Cause we're going to have to figure out a schedule for it. Right, um, sure. and, and, you know, Chris, Christopher Hoffman's in the chat. He's we've, we've been discussing, uh, his Vault of the Killer Bees, where we basically take some of the old schlock theater B-movies that you'd find in the drive-in, oh, yeah. the horror, the exploitation horror films, and doing some stuff with that. So uh, well, some yeah, of that might live on Twitch. I'm not sure exactly where that's going to be yet, but uh, but yeah, that's that's in development, too. So There's some fun stuff there. There's, yeah. there, uh, there's a few B-movies that I'm awfully fond of. <laughs> Yeah. So bad they're so bad they're entertaining. 
Well, and uh, tomorrow, exactly. speaking of B-movies, tomorrow on Live from the Bunker, we have a guest, a special guest. Um, let me turn this big picture on. Brink Stevens is going to All be right. our guest. We're going to be talking with her about the various different things she's been up to during the pandemic and the lockdown, but we'll also talk about, you know, just her career overall, but that's uh, that's going to be at She's 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. One of the great tomorrow. Scream Queens. She is. One of the great yes. Scream Queens. So something to look forward to there, and then I don't know about next week. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about next week. Because yes. it'll be November. Uh, because while, while I will have a chance to do next week's episode, I will not be, spoiler alert folks, I will be here for this week's uh, uh, Good Morning Multiverse. I'll be in Seattle for the following week's Good Morning Multiverse. At a conference, taking pictures, shooting video, doing the things that I do. Have fun with that. I will. I've never been to Seattle. <laughs> okay. Um, we're, we're actually planning on getting out and seeing some of the city. So Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for us tonight. If you have seen Dune Part 1 and you would like to share your thoughts, you can do that in a number of ways. You can leave a comment or send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, we do invite you to sign up for our newsletter, connect with us on our socials, and check out all of the other videos that we've got here. If you haven't in, uh, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, we do invite you to do that as well. We're at 1934 on YouTube, and uh, we're at 148 on Odyssey. Uh, so follow us on all of those, and uh, and we'll do this again. Probably next week. Well, you're you're going to be here for Monday night for oh, yeah. next no, week, no, I, right? I don't, yeah. I, don't fly, I don't fly out till Tuesday. Okay. All right. So Monday night is fun. Okay. So uh, we will figure out what we're going to talk to you next week. Be uh, keeping an eye on our socials. We'll tell you what we're going to talk about, and we'll do this uh, in seven days, six days, in six, six days because it'll be right. back to Monday. All right. Thanks everybody. And for look forward being to there. two years talking about uh, Dune in two years. Yes, because it'll be 2023. That's a really, uh, strictly speaking, that's a pretty good turnaround time. Yeah, it is. And, and and I wonder how much he's already shot, that he didn't tell anybody he's already shot. Well, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of B-roll that he was like, while we're here, yeah. let's desert, shall yes. we? Yes. Um, so and, that's... Uh, and in the meantime, we'll have plenty of other things to talk about while we wait okay. for Dune Part 2. All right. That's so right. thanks very much for being here, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, guys. Thanks. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.